0: Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts, I'm Alex Siegel and I'm joined by Professor Stanley Wells on the occasion of his honorary degree. Professor Wells has been described as our greatest authority on Shakespeare's life and work. Professor Wells took his first degree from University College London, of which he is now an honorary fellow, in 1951 and studied for his PhD at the Shakespeare Institute in Birmingham, where he later became director from 1988 until 1997. In 1978, he moved to Oxford to serve as founding head of the Shakespeare Department of Oxford University Press and as general editor of the Oxford edition of Shakespeare's complete works. Since 1995, he has held the honorary position of chairman of the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust and was chairman of the International Shakespeare Association from 1996 to 2001. He is a trustee of the Rose Theatre and a council member of the Globe Theatre. In 1995 he was awarded the Walcott Award of the Library Association for Services to Bibliography and he was made a CBE for Services to Literature in the Birthday Honours List 2007. His latest books include Shakespeare for All Time, Coffee with Shakespeare and Is It True What They Say About Shakespeare? Professor Wells, how has Shakespeare studies developed from when you were an undergraduate compared with students beginning in 2008?
1: Well, I would say perhaps the major... Well, there have been a lot of of changes, of course. Uh, One important one that I've been particularly associated with is the increased concentration on Shakespearean performance. I think that critics and scholars have become more willing over the years to recognise that Shakespeare's plays... Uh, Are subject to a great deal of variation in performance, and that a performance is itself an act of criticism. Uh, When I was at university, I remember I had a very fine teacher, indeed, who wrote very well about Shakespeare, but she was not interested in the theatre. I remember once saying to her that I was going to see Michael Redgrave as Hamlet that evening, and she said, oh, I should like to see Hamlet sometime. Uh, Whether she ever did, I don't know, but Uh, and and of course I I did my doctoral work at the Shakespeare Institute in Stratford and my mentor there was Allardyce Nicol who was a great historian of the theatre and of the drama and his whole aim in starting the Shakespeare Institute in Stratford particularly was to try to bring together the worlds of the theatre and of the university and scholarship. I don't think it's ever completely succeeded frankly and I think that The scholars have been far more interested in the theatre than the theatre has been and continues to be interested in scholars. Uh, The theatre people, it seems to me, go their own sweet way, uh, whatever we try to tell them. And and my own view is that it's better, on the whole, to to let them do that uh, rather than to make any effort specially to involve oneself. I have been involved to a certain degree, but only a small degree. I, I contrast this actually with, with, Euro, with European countries. Once when I was in Czechoslovakia, one of the uh, scholars there asked me if I, had, if, had, if I had much to do with the Royal Shakespeare Company being based as I am in Stratford. Uh, and I said, no, and people often ask me, you know, do they consult you? And the answer is no, uh, on the whole. Occasionally an actor has come to me, and, but I remember once, for example, I had the privilege of going through the role of Cleopatra with Sinead Cusack before she was going to do it because, well, she was a friend and she, she, she thought it would be interesting. Uh, but on the whole, I think it's absolutely right that they should feel, that, you know, they've got a job to do. Occasionally one is a bit irritated by perhaps their use of texts which are out of date or... Uh, or or perhaps cutting of the plays which seems a bit willful or wayward. Uh, But this chap said he did have a lot to do, you see, because I think in Europe, like Czechoslovakia, the theatre people need information through the scholars more than our people do, or at least more than they think they do. Uh, They need then translations. I mean, this chap was actually translating for the National Theatre in Prague, and uh, he no doubt was passing on uh, opinions and thoughts about scholarship of the period uh, to them so that's one important change but also of course there've been a great many changes in the in critical approach other critical approaches during this time i say other because of course performance criticism is itself a critical approach uh, but also, we've had, the, we've had the, the, the theory, the structuralists, the new historicists, the materialist critics, and so on. And all this has had its impact, and, and sexuality and gender criticism. Uh, have entered the field in the last 20 or 30 years, and all these have made an impact and affect, for example, both what scholars do and also what graduate students do as they're working. I mean, there's still a place, I'm sure, for what you might call traditional scholarship, like, for example, the editing of texts. Although even there, uh, editorial techniques change and the sort of annotation that you get changes. I mean, just to give you an example, I've just been working on uh, a lecture about Shakespeare and sex and looking at um, As You Like It, I find that certain passages in that play are annotated in current editions, including the uh, University of Warwick's uh, Jonathan Bates RSC edition, with a sexual frankness uh, that exceeds anything that was ever done in, say, 40 or 50 years ago. I looked at As You like, I mean, sometimes I think it goes too far. Sometimes I think they are finding a subtext of a double entendre and so on, which is more in the mind of the critic or the scholar than, than it was in Shakespeare's mind. But in As You Like It, I looked at uh, well, the Oxford edition, fairly recent, and, and the RSC edition. And then I looked at the same passage in the Arden edition, which was done, I think, probably in the, the second Arden edition, probably in the late 50s or early 60s and there was not a scrap of this in view there so that's the sort of way in which things do develop and change and I myself believe that the editing of a text is a very good discipline for a scholar Uh, it requires quite a range of skills it requires linguistic skills um, skill in uh, lexicography, using dictionaries glossing the words, skill in bibliography, in studying the text, in working out what may have lie behind the text as it was originally printed uh, ideally if you're editing a play it also requires a strong sense of the theatre of how the play would have been put on in its own time and perhaps what we can learn about it from later productions so that's one of the traditional disciplines, I mean I myself did my PhD I edited, not in fact a play but I edited Elizabethan works. And I, I think that gives a very good grounding for young students.
0: So do you think there are any um, unhelpful developments in Shakespeare studies? As you were saying, you know, maybe delving too deeply into a text and, and finding some texts that maybe the author did not intend.
1: Um, yeah, I think... The, yes, I do. I wrote a book actually called Looking for Sex in Shakespeare a few years ago. And one of the things I, did, I do in the first chapter of that book is to... Castigate certain scholars for, uh, as it seems to be, projecting their own fantasies onto the text, and that can still happen. There's, I think, an appalling book just recently been published by a woman called Pauline Kiernan, called "Filthy Shakespeare," uh, which is is an exploitative book. She selects a number of passages from Shakespeare, and she provides the most basic. Uh, not even glosses, really, but paraphrases, which I think have no justification whatever in the text. Uh, and that's, I mean, and and you know that seems unscholarly. But in fact, she is a, a lady with a PhD. I mean, she's you know, so it's not just a journalist, as it were, if I may say, just a journalist exploiting something. It's somebody who should know better. In other words, so yes, I think there are unhealthy developments too, certainly.
0: And of course, the study of Shakespeare can begin much. Uh, earlier than university. Earlier mm. in this year you were present at the Great Shakespeare debate at the uh, the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust in which mm. A-level students debated subjects and issues to do with Shakespeare's plays. What are your thoughts on um, seeing Shakespeare being studied at a younger age? What do you think the benefits are?
1: Um, I think it's fine for young people to be introduced to Shakespeare provided it's done with discretion and with an acknowledgement of, of their limitations. At the Birthplace Trust, we, have a, a, we do a lot of that sort of thing. We've just had a lovely project uh, called Willingly to School in which we have been uh, dressing up the students in Elizabethan costume, little 10, 11-year-olds, 10 and letting them uh, hear some of the things that Shakespeare would have heard in the classroom and in church too, for example, and that's given them an introduction to one side of Shakespeare's work. Uh, the great Shakespeare debate uh, is on a higher intellectual level and has been very successful. we had uh, students from uh, all over the country, schools all over the country competing, getting training, some of which had been provided by Warwick graduates and undergraduates, getting training in debating techniques, going through uh, a series of, of relays, as it were, over a couple of days. We we give them, we take them to the theatre and they, they talk about the production. We talk to them to try to prime them a bit about it. And then there's a grand finale that was attended by a lot of worthies. Uh, and, well, Donald Sindon, for example, presented a Prizes the first time round. Uh, I think that's been a very good development. The latest thing that we've just been hearing about uh, on the news and in the papers is a, is a scheme to introduce Shakespeare to five-year-olds. Uh, I think that's a bit early, I must say, but it depends how you do it, of course. Uh, I, I mean, it's true that the basic plots of Shakespeare's plays, and I should be saying this, in fact, in my oration, or whatever it's called my speech later today, the basic plots of some of the plays are like myths or fairy tales. It's not unreasonable to compare the plot of King Lear with that of Cinderella, for example, a, a father with two good, two bad daughters and one good one, and so on. And it's, it's reasonable enough, then, to introduce the Youngsters to the basic stories of the plays. Only hope they don't try too hard to, to make things too difficult for them. See, a lot of people often say that they were put off Shakespeare at school, and that is the result of bad teaching, of unimaginative teaching, I think. And it, and one aspect of that is sometimes starting too early. I was a school teacher myself for some years, and one of my big worries during that time was that I had to, um, I had to prepare the students for. Ordinary level, as it was called then, I think with GCSE, and I worried about at what stage to introduce them to begin to introduce them to Shakespeare so that they could be ready for it in the fifth form to the study of a whole play, and quite deep, deep study that was required then at least, uh, and you know sometimes I would decide that the second year was okay, sometimes I waited till the third year to do that, so I think there are limitations and difficulties I think it 's very important if possible for the students to see a shakespeare play well done but it is very important that it should be well done and i'm not in favour very much of taking them in school parties i've had too much experience as a member of an or a paying member of an audience of, somehow when you get a lot of children together, they tend to come down to the lowest common denominator among them, They perhaps they're a bit embarrassed sometimes about taking a serious interest in things, so it's a, you know, we've had some pretty bad experiences sometimes of, of parties uh, going to the theater. It's much better if they can be ordinary members of the audience, spread through the audience, I think, but I recognize that that's often not possible. But it's also important, and the production should be lively and vital, I, I, I've, when I was a school teacher. I I once took a group of school children to uh, a theatre to see Henry IV Part One, uh, on a cup final day. Perhaps I didn't even realise it was cup final day. And we were almost the only people in that enormous theatre. And Falstaff was played by an elderly, no, an old actor, who had once well, been very good, but by now he was past his best, and he was wearing a defaid, uh, which wasn't part of the characterization of false stuff, and really, at the end of the afternoon, I felt we all might as well have stayed at home and, and listened to a commentary on the on the cup file. So there are limitations, and so there's a big emphasis at the moment, and it's, it's, it's being encouraged a good deal by this university through the Capital Center, on and by the RSC, too. On getting uh, pupils to act the plays themselves, well, I think that's fine and healthy and good, provided that they are also given a context in which to act to them, uh, and that they're given some explanation. I don't think you can expect them to be able just to stand up and and do it uh, without a bit of help first. So I'm in favour of a of, of a holistic approach to the teaching of Shakespeare at all levels, actually.
0: One recent example of Shakespearean schools is um, at King Edward the Sixth School in Stratford. Their production of John Marston's *The Dutch Courtesan*, which was performed by their company of boy players, in uh, as it would have been done with boys cross-dressing playing the female characters. Um, having seen the play as it would have uh, originally been performed, uh, did this change the way you thought about the plays of Shakespeare and his contemporaries? Having seen the female characters played by boys. Um,
1: yes, uh, I, I've seen it before. Uh, it is a very valuable exercise, I think. Uh, it, it, we, we need to recognize that the, the women part, women's parts in Shakespeare and his contemporaries were originally played by boys. It's quite difficult to define what a boy is, I think. And also, I think boys stop being boys rather earlier nowadays than they used to do in Shakespeare's time. Uh, I think this relates particularly to voice. I mean, it seems to me that the main criterion of a boy as far as the theatre is concerned, is the unbroken voice. Uh, and in Shakespeare's day, it would appear uh, adolescence was often later than than it is nowadays. Uh, it was noticeable in these productions at KS, which were very intelligent, very interesting, uh, that uh, some of the boys were really adults. I mean, you know, one of the the chaps was uh, burly. You know, you can imagine him on the rugger field. His voice was fully broken. He was... Uh, Mature and well developed, whereas other boys were still slips of lads, and uh, that was a, uh, that that was a problem arising, I think, from doing them with young actors of the present day. But I, uh, it was astonishing in one case the, the the boy playing the courtesan, how sexy he was. I mean, it uh, it's uh, and how conscious they were, too, about projecting themselves into those female roles. So I think that was a very valuable exercise, and I'd be very happy to see more uh, productions of a similar kind.
0: And finally, I think, are there any surprises left in Shakespeare studies, or have all the questions been answered?
1: You wait.